Hello! And welcome back to This Is Not A History Lecture. We're coming to you from... What? We're coming to you live today from two You're... sets of sound-canceling headphones. I like how we always say, I'm coming for you live. I'm coming and for, neither of us for are you. <laughs> neither of us are ever live, though. We've never had a live. No. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm alive right now, and I'm recording this. You know so what? this is live for me. You're right. We are alive. I'm coming for you live. That's weird, though. It's Halloween time. We're not coming for you dead. Just, no. just alive. No. <laughs> How are you today, Kat? Mm, alive. Hey. Uh, me too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was a pretty good week. It was just a very... No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lying. Um, I, I had a lot of chaos hit me at the end of the week, including Wi-Fi being out oh, yeah. again. Which Kat means... had a rough week. Yeah. I had to replace all four tires on my car. Um, just lots of miserable inconveniences that all piled up at once and caused me to have a complete breakdown, but it's fine. Well, you got through it. And I you did. seem like you're doing okay. I mean, your shoulder apparently fell apart this morning. But, yes, it did. Um, um, the shoulder, I woke up and it was not in its proper place. If but you didn't know, cat. I mean, do you want do you want the people to know? I, that you I, have... yeah, that I have a genetic condition that basically my yes. body doesn't produce enough collagen. So my body is all wibbly-wobbly in its joints, and they don't stay in place all the time. Yeah, so that does mean that Kat just will wake up some mornings, and her shoulder will be out of its socket. Yeah, it's It really stresses fun. me out. Every time she gets up to, like, stretch in class, I'm like, I watch her. I'm, I'm just like, waiting for it are to you a... Well, and to it's be happened fair, like, before. It has. It's happened multiple times. And Kaylee will have to go into the hallway with me and like pop yeah. it back into place. I'll be like, "You good?" from across the classroom. Yeah. And Cat will be like, "Come help me." Yeah. And it's so much worse now that I'm in like grad school because one of my jobs is great and I get to move around and do stuff. One of them confines me to a chair for like nine hours at a time. Yeah. And being sitting still is miserable for people who have what I have, and it's like. It's just a really bad experience because I'll like be at work all day and then I'll go sit in a classroom mm-hmm. and sitting in that classroom doesn't help. And no. you can ask anyone in our cohort. I ha- I sit in the weirdest ways because of it. Yeah. So I'll have to get up like halfway through a lecture and just crack my back and you can hear like every single vertebrae popping in my spine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, and that's when I watch Kat because I'm like, it's like, if I hear cracked, it's a little too loud. She knows. <laughs> I'm like, she oh knows. no. she knows and i know she knows (laughs) (laughs) anyway yeah so um other than that chaos the past couple days it's been a okay hey you know what it's a new week now and you have all of those problems solved yes so mostly i have not figured out why i have a sudden multi-thousand dollar bill on my student account um that is problematic yes that they didn't offer an explanation for and they said contact your advisor and my advisor has not gotten back to me well, that's really helpful for everyone involved. Mm-hmm. And I know who your advisor is. Yeah. But anyway. Fair, I probably didn't give her a whole lot of time before the weekend, so like, whatever. But I'm yeah. just very stressed about it. Yeah, no, 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 no. It's been, if it's, it's been a long weekend. Yeah. It's been a long, yeah. it's been a long weekend. I'll always say like, yeah, I'm doing good. But like, this is one of those weekends where now objectively <laughs> it has not been good. Listen, there has been a lot that has happened yeah. that I can't go into detail about. I know, <laughs> Jesus it's, it's Christ. been chaotic for all of us. It's been really chaotic. Yeah, how are you? I, okay, today I'm doing good. Good. Specifically today. And the few hours we've been awake. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I woke up at 10.30, so it's 5 o'clock now. <laughs> Love it. So, so far we're doing... It's an already 5. <sighs> okay. Yeah, it is. That's the whole day five. gone. Yeah. I should have been more productive today, but you I was You literally at were at work, so that's yeah, pretty productive. Yeah, I could have been more productive this morning before I went to work, though. Well, it's Sunday morning. Easy like Sunday morning. We make a lot of copyrighted song comments on this show. I'm slowly realizing that we're, we we have to make, what is it, eight seconds that's public domain or something like that you can sample? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we probably should look into copyright law. Yeah. yeah. Oops. We, we, we quote, la, la, la. Listen, it's a loose rendition. Yeah, we quote a lot of TikToks and a lot of I don't think TikToks songs. are covered by copyright law. That's why I keep quoting them. <laughs> That it's like my only language at this point. I was gonna say, yeah, no, it's definitely the copyright law, not because I spend hours on TikTok a day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, today was good. I was able to, well, I had a free drink from Starbucks, and I was like, I gotta go because it was today only, and I was like, I gotta remember to go do that. Um, but I told myself that in order to go get my free drink, I had to go practice my skateboard for at least thirty minutes. Love it, and I did. So. Mm-hmm. Was, and not that this is ever in our periphery, but I did realize there is a skate park. Us. <coughs> there is. Yeah. yeah. It's on. Yeah. Yeah. The town where we currently are. The town where I currently There is am. a skate park in the town where we currently are. Mm-hmm. And I drove by it the other night while I was holding a tray of cheese on my lap. Uh, yeah, you did. That <laughs> is did. the street that it's on. Yeah. Yes, you did. Um, yeah, no, there is one. And I see kids there all the time, which I think is really cute. But... Uh, I will not be going to a skate park until oh same I will much longer yeah, in the no. future. And a lot of skate parks apparently don't like roller skaters. Yeah, but I'm also like it's everyone's space. But I don't know. Yeah, I, we'll see. No, I think you're good on that one. I'm gonna say you're good. I see a lot of skaters like rollerblader skate mm, okay. roller skate videos at skate parks. I gotta but... get I gotta get skates though. I want I want skates before I do that. Yeah, skate. Oh, speaking of skateboarding, when I was like when I was on my way to the park to go practice, my mom called me. I was like, "Hey, I'll call you back in a little bit. I need to do this." Which, okay, it might not sound like a big deal, but I went by myself in practice. And that's that a big, is a big deal. That's a big deal for me. I don't go alone. Yeah. So like, I'm proud of you. I was pretty impressed. The park I went to is like there's literally never anyone there, so nice. I wasn't worried about that. Um, I was just like, I just got to do this. And I got new wheels for my skateboard because the ones that I got on my $5 Goodwill board were god-awful. But you got so, the board for 5 bucks, which is way I, I, less I, than ever. I can't complain. Yeah. I literally can't complain. Um, so with my new wheels, I can actually move now. So I'm having to practice, like, actually kicking while moving. Yeah. Which is what I was most nervous about. But I, I did pretty good, if I say so, yeah. so myself. But I was... So after I got done, I called my mom back and I was talking. I was like, yeah, I was practicing skateboarding. And my dad, as I've mentioned before, is like a punk in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And I hate him for it because he's so freaking cool. <laughs> um, but my mom was like, because we were joking. And I was like, dad, you just don't want me to skateboard because you're jealous. You wish you could still skateboard. And my mom yeah, was like, is. well, Greg, it might be a good idea that you start that again. It'd be good for your knees. <laughs> and I was like, dad, please, please skateboard. So Aww, me and my bonding. mom were trying to co- convince my father to start skateboarding again. Love it. Which I think would be really cool. My mom said that he used to let 
the dogs drag him around. Mm-hmm. And I think he used to do like tricks and stuff. My dad. Well, I used. I hate that my dad was so cool. When we had, <laughs> when we still had Bell's Bells, she mm-hmm. was blind. So like she didn't pull. She would walk next to you. You could literally have another mm-hmm. dog walk right by her. And she yeah. didn't, she wasn't interested. She would just like lean against you so she knew where you were and follow mm-hmm. the feeling of your body. But once or twice when she still had a little bit of her sight, she would pull just enough to take a lead. And I like. It was great because yeah. she would like she wouldn't pull. She would just kind of like go alongside you, and when you were going uphill, just offer a little bit of a tug, and you could like push <laughs> off behind her. That's it, funny. I miss that dog. Yeah, she was a good girl. The best. Um, but yeah, no. And I was like, did Dad was he still skateboarding when I was around? And my mom was like, oh yeah. And I was like, I don't. Wow, that's punk. Uh, yes. It makes me so angry. Mm-hmm. He's so lucky. I wish I was. If she had anyway. pictures of him, like, carrying you around while he was on a skateboard, that'd be cool. I wish I had more pictures of my but dad hey, in the 90s because... you are doing this. You are learning this, and it's awesome, and you're kicking ass. And I'm so proud of you because you're also motivating yourself. I'm kicking ass. You're kicking ass, <laughs> and you're taking names. Thank you, Kat. <laughs> Girl boss, gaslighting. <laughs> <laughs> you're saying that. <laughs> Oh my god. Anyway, we got a long episode of Free Girl today, so yeah. I guess we should go ahead and get into it and stop hearing me ramble about how I wish it was as cool as my father. You're cooler. <clears throat> I think you're cooler. Okay, well, you don't know my dad, so. I know. <laughs> this is objective. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, why don't you tell me about this lovely lady you have for us today. Yes. So I was going to originally talk about the um, Mexican Revolution, and then I got stuck in a tire store for, like, five <laughs> hours on Friday. I bet you did. And, um... Actually, I, not I bet. I know that you did. Yeah. As I say, I was texting you the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and since I didn't have Wi-Fi, uh, I was like, oh, I can't really do research or anything like that. And then I was like, you know what I do have? A book in my bag. <gasps> A book? About oh my god, cat! You um, are into I, history. I, oh my gosh, that's insane! You have a book, and it was about some of my favorite um, women in the world. And if you've been following this ho- this podcast for a while, you know that I have like this obsession with women in the Nazi resistance. Um, they're amazing. <laughs> what? Well, it's really funny if you just said women in the Nazi. That would have been bad. That would have been very that bad. That would have been a very unhealthy obsession, Kat, yeah, I no, would say. Um, you could punch me in the face for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I would. Actually, I wouldn't even, like, you know you well enough me, to yeah. punch you in the face. Yeah, so I had a book about a bunch of women from the Resistance, and I already knew this woman's story and everything, and she's been on my list forever, but I figured, hey, you know what? I will supplement the knowledge I had with the book, and then later I could do my last bits and pieces when I had Wi-Fi. So... I had to switch and make do with what I had access to. But, and it's um, going to be great. It is. I, I know a lot about this woman because I've yeah, seen a lot of movies about her and I adore her. And she's mm-hmm. actually, I'm also planning to name all of my pets after women from World War II resistance yep. movements. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's weird, but like I already have names picked out. Like yes. <laughs> She has. As long as I've known Kat, she has had names picked out. Yeah. Are any of them after this lady? Uh, yes. <gasps> Ooh. But it will be hard to call a dog that's named Shoal. It doesn't quite roll off your tongue. You can name her Sophie. Sophie. Yeah, that's cute. That's a cute dog name. Yeah, if you haven't guessed, I'm talking today about Sophie Shoal. Well, I mean, we just said her first and last name. Yeah, yeah. 
I am excited to hear about this lady cat. I really am. So what's interesting? <laughs> Sorry, I just <laughs> break my just crashing around. I just want to put my foot under my leg. <laughs> just <laughs> destroying cat's house. <laughs> To be fair, it is a the equivalent. It's not even IKEA couch quality. It's it is literally from Walmart. I got it on clearance for like a hundred dollars. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Thing has to last me the rest of my life though. So um. yeah, definitely it will. <laughs> Listen, last last week I didn't want to tell you, but oh, and that's been broken for a while. Okay, I just I was don't like, lean on that part of the couch. Just like, did I break that? No, I literally have to like when I use that arm side, I have to like. <laughs> I don't know that what movement. that means. I have to like push up. I can't use that arm to get up because it literally like cracks the wood in the arm of the chair. Yeah, anyway. this will last your whole life for sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. definitely. Um. Anyway. Anyway, let's get so, down yes. to it. I'm talking about Sophie Scholl and the White Rose Resistance uh, Group. Uh, Sophie Scholl is a recap to what you're getting into. Was a young woman who was actually younger than us when she was tried unfairly and killed for Ooh. her she was only 21 oh university student yeah she was she young was, well i didn't realize she was tried and killed that's rough guillotined oh yeah wow um, okay it was it was not great um so no. that's kind of what you're getting into here um she is i'll get into her legacy a little bit later but she is widely known now especially in germany i believe um as a, a symbol of resistance mm-hmm. and just ethical and like moral standing because mm-hmm. well you know what i'll let you figure it out as i go um uh-huh. so sophie Scholl, surprises for later yeah surprises for later exactly <laughs> she was born in frochtenberg germany on may 9th of 1921 as sophia magdalena Scholl. She was the fourth out of six kids, and all of these siblings were pretty close throughout their life. Sophie was especially close with her brother Hans, and actually they were executed together. Mm. But there's um, Inga, Hans, Elizabeth, Werner, and Thilda, with um, Sophie being the fourth. I think I said that. But her dad, Robert Scholl, was a mayor who was actually later voted out by people who thought he was too progressive, which hmm. Nazi Germany, a lot of people were too progressive. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he raised them in a Lutheran household. Their mother was Magdalena, which is Sophie's middle name. And they raised them in a very open but vocal household. Like, you could have mm-hmm. the opinions you wanted, but both of her parents saw the dangers of Hitler from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think that has a huge influence on her. And it rubbed a wrong way for a while because originally Sophie and her siblings were involved in things like the Hitler Youth mm-hmm. programs. Like, before... Th- there's nuances in that. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to those. But through her life, she ended up becoming very involved in theology. And she actually cited theology when she was arrested. Her being raised in that household with an emphasis on Lutheran religion definitely influenced how she later viewed the world. So she's, if she's born in 21, Hitler starts consolidating power and, you know, like it, you can't pin it. There's like not one pivotal moment where you're like, aha, Mm -hmm. there's a million pivotal moments. In 1933 though, he's got like a big I was going to say early thirties probably. Yeah. Yeah. He's got a pretty big hold in 33, which is when, our girl Sophie is about 12. She's still young, but she's seeing what's happening around her. 
And she ended up picking up on some of her father and mother's views that Hitler might not be the greatest guy. Good and for her. yeah, we should note that the Nazi party as we know it was not always the Nazi party. It was a socialist party, mm-hmm. um, which is used to demon demon <laughs> can never say that word. Basically, a lot of people compare modern socialist movements to uh-huh. this to make a point, but you cannot compare socialism to the Nazi party because mm-hmm. it's this the Nazi party held a lot of foundational ideas that are incredibly different than our modern it's it's not about politics mm-hmm. necessarily for the Nazis there's a lot of stuff about racial relations mm-hmm. and purity and geography like there's just a lot of nuances there but originally the Nazi party also wasn't purely about um, you know, what what we know it to be now. Mm-hmm. So, when she was young, Sophie joined the League of German Girls with her sisters Inga and Elizabeth. We would probably... If Girl Scouts was a, like a super political group that was like, <laughs> you know, I can't... There's no good comparison that I know of yeah. to this, but uh-huh. it's kind of like a girls' activity group. Like, okay. you meet up, you do fun stuff, you, uh, you, you learn skills that would be more traditional i mean modern girl scouts i can't make that comparison because girl scouts is actually very progressive oh absolutely they are which we love to see it we do i was a girl scout for most of my uh youth life that makes a lot of sense you look like a sprinkles guy (laughs) (laughs) um and you really do cat (laughs) i know i had so many badges too it's okay i also Things about me, me make a lot of sense, yeah. too, don't no, they? Yeah, do. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, I don't have a great comparison, but a lot of these groups are pseudo-Nazi organizations. They are not blatantly like, this is a political organization. It's presented as a children's group, but there mm-hmm. is a lot of indoctrination involved. Because while you're sitting around talking about the campfire and singing songs, all of a sudden you realize the songs you're singing are about your nation, about your, mm-hmm. like, country, and all this stuff. And it's... There are some groups that are, like the Hitler Youth, which is very actively about Hitler's ideal youth. Yeah. And there will be a whole other episode on that because mm. the Hitler Youth is a fascinating That would be a really thing. good one, Kat. I have a whole book on it that I've been making my way through and I Well once you're done. I with knew that. about it, but like, dang, I yeah, yeah. I bet. The propaganda around it is incredible. Yeah. And Hans, her brother, is actually in the Hitler Youth. But they're father already was vocally against Hitler and the Nazis at this point and it drove a little bit of a rift between the kids and their dad but they mm. kind of think oh my dad our dad's just like an old man he you don't he, he doesn't get it he doesn't he just yeah he's like every 12 year old yeah, does exactly yeah. mm-hmm. and her sisters later talked openly about this about how like it took them a long time and it although their dad loved them and they loved their dad there was a period where they were all like could not agree on what was actually happening with the kids and in the household. Sophie starts going kind of like, what the heck? When her Jewish friend Louise ref- was refused. she They wouldn't let her join mm. the group. And Sophie was like, okay, well, that's not great. But she really liked being, she was kind of like their, what do, you, what do you call it? They have a name for it. Um, it's like a group leader, basically. Like she stepped up okay. to be a leader of one of the little like scout groups. Sophie did. Sophie did. Yeah. Okay, cute. So she's like, okay, I don't love this, but like, 
like there's some things going wrong, but I really like mm-hmm. the activities. I like, like being around the people, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And this is a little bit later after, you know, she's growing up in this, but the Nuremberg mm-hmm. laws happened in 1935, which puts Jews in the crosshairs. For those of y'all who don't know about the Nuremberg laws, I should do an episode on that too. There's a lot. There's so much there's to cover so with much World to War cover II. In this. Um, but basically this is when Jews are being like actively targeted. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were before this, but this is like a legal precedent for yeah. it. Yeah. And she realized that she, she was starting to get to the point where she's like, maybe I, maybe I'm not, I wasn't really, like, pro-Nazi, but, like, maybe I don't want to be around people who are either. Like, they're mm. getting vocal. They're getting aggressive. And her brother, as a member of the Hitler Youth, went to the Nuremberg rally to carry one of the flags oh. in 36. And he came back from that rally and was like, what the hell is going on? Good. He was like, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what this group is supposed to be about. This is not what we've been told. Like, he was... Yeah. What's the word? Um, dis disillusioned almost yeah, by yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And he at that point is kind of that's, that's that's Hans's breaking point. And I think I think I don't know if it's fair to say, but as someone who has older siblings at that age, especially, you really like respect them and look up to them. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing that seeing Hans make that realization and kind of break from that ideology. Sophie probably was like, okay, yeah, like, I yeah. I agree with you now. I, I get this. Mm-hmm. And Sophie has never neglected, she's never taken on all of those ideologies entirely. Like, when they banned books by Jewish authors, she was still trying to read them. Like, she would bring them to her groups and be like, mm-hmm. let's talk about this. And people would be like, you're reading a Jewish author that is banned, that is disgusting, that is depraved. And she was like, well, you can't understand, like, literature without talking about, like, Jewish authors and yeah. stuff. And and her understanding of Christianity is a very healthy understanding of Christianity that calls for the basic rights of every human being, not just mm-hmm. other Christians, which we see happening in our world now. Yeah. So she's using that theology side to realize as well, like, this mm-hmm. is not how God wants us to treat people. All this is building up, and all of the siblings have started to talk vocally about how this isn't what they thought it was, and pretty much the whole family takes on an anti-Nazi sentiment at this point. Mm -hmm. She's watching some of her teachers at school being dragged out because they wouldn't conform with Nazi party ideas. Mm -hmm. She's being sent, like, the students would be sent home with writing prompts from their teachers, basically saying, like, what do y'all talk about at home? What's your family like? Mm -hmm. Things where you realize they aren't asking for the students' sake, Mm -hmm. they're trying to figure out what that they're being taught at home, what the family's yeah. ideas are, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And in 37, some of her friends and siblings are arrested for being a part of the German youth movement. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at some point during this timeline, everything but the, basically the Hitler youth kind of got like dismissed and outlawed. You weren't supposed to participate in anything that wasn't like Hitler run, you know, the Nazi mm-hmm. party had control over. And she's... Like, there's a lot of minutia around that. And her brother was being, her brothers were being, you know, mm-hmm. speaking their minds at their group meetings and everything. And it gets them arrested. But then Sophie's like, well, why does, why do they have so much control over everything we do? And she's getting real riled up. So that's where she is. And as the war progresses, she finishes school. Uh, 1940, mm-hmm. she decides, she graduates and decides to teach younger kids uh, kindergarten at the Froebel Institute. Her boyfriend at the time is a loyal supporter of Hitler. 
mm-hmm. who was he was out serving in the army and they're constantly riding back and forth and she is not afraid to like let him have it. She's arguing with him in his in her letters bitterly just asking like what are you doing? Like the fact that yeah. you're here at war, why is there a war at all? This is not This is right. so interesting. So it really puts you in the story of someone growing up in all of this. Right. Yeah. Because like And that's like not something you see a lot. No, it a hundred percent and it's it's terribly sad to me that she was so young, mm-hmm. but to see a young person at that age understanding, you know, not getting caught up in the indoctrination, which I'm sure is helped by the fact that her parents were never on board with the indoctrination. Yeah. But like, we've talked about it on here a million times before. Unlearning biases, mm-hmm. unlearning things can be incredibly painful. And so for her to have, you know, all of her friends in these groups and lead yeah. these groups and stuff... It is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And you realize that kids can be upstanders as well. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. that's weird to think about because you think about radical change and you think about adults. Mm-hmm. But it, it was kids, too. Yeah. Um, hey, high schoolers, they, they're powerful. They get shit done. Because teenagers scare the, the living shit out of me. There's another one, Kat. How many copyright songs can we hit today? Let's that t- one was a TikTok trend. Okay, that's literally a My I, Chemical a, I know, Romance it's, it's song. It's so long, but it's been on TikTok a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it has. why I've been... It yeah. has. But no, and it also puts you in the place where, like, inevitably, you're going to cross hairs with people who are if you're growing up in this. Like, her boyfriend, she's choosing to date this guy, and he's a yeah. Nazi. Yeah. Like... Modern day, like, dating a Republican. Well... Not not a Republican. We no, not a Republican. Those Sorry, two, we're not like, going to conflate but Nazis like, with Republicans. Yeah, because it's a different context, but... yeah. Um, but there is that moral question there is like, if I believe in this set of values, right. should I date someone who believes who in this set of values? And at this point, it probably is to her, to them, well, I was going to say like a Democrat or Republican dating if the Republican's like pretty far right. Mm-hmm. But at this point they have, like they're in, a- in active war. And I yeah. can't say that if like the Republican party declared active war, that I would still be d- dating one of them. But I mean... It is one thing to be so astute, to be so set on that ideology of like people can have different beliefs and still get along. Mm-hmm. This is like a very intense form of that. Yeah, no, it's super exaggerated. And for her to, you know, be so vocal in a time mm-hmm. where women were not supposed to be vocal, not just in like the global yeah. sphere, but in Nazi Germany, yeah. the emphasis on like womanhood is to be quiet in mm-hmm. the background, serving on the home front having children like they literally mm-hmm. gave out medals to women who were having enough children it, yeah there's a type of woman you're supposed to be in nazi germany she is not mm-hmm. um, good for her yeah so um at one point she even writes him and she's like i like you're you're fighting this war and her friends are like well we, there shouldn't be a war she's like i i actually think there should be because it's the only way we're going to stop hitler hmm and so she almost wants, she wants the defeat of her own war. Yeah. It's really interesting. That and is really it interesting. It comes up in multiple of her letters. Uh-huh. But um, she didn't get to stay long at the Froebel Institute. She was conscripted as a nursery teacher in Bloomberg. Um, it's part of the Auxiliary War Service. Women were forced out of school to serve for six months before they could continue. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a man being drafted, but mm-hmm. women were conscripted. So... Hans had to go serve in the actual army. She's working as a nursery teacher, and she did not like the town she was placed in. She, it was a very industrial town. She liked the kids well enough, but she mm-hmm. was like, I, this is just not it. And it made her even more just 
why am I here? Why am I doing stuff I don't want to do? Why are any of us having to do this at all? Yeah. And every chance that they could uh, get leave, the family would return and try to meet up with each other and see each other. So these siblings are staying in contact, which is really nice to see. But this means they're also feeding each other off of each other's opinions and experiences, and they're getting more and more critical. And at one point, Sophie starts talking about the lack of commentary, the lack of interference from Christian leaders. She starts directly calling them out, like, you people mm. are supposed to be leading us through this, and you should be preaching... We see this now. You shouldn't be preaching hate and vitriol. You should be yeah. preaching love and kindness and acceptance mm-hmm. and helping each other. So Hans, who's coming back and forth from the war and sometimes seeing her on leave, all of him and his friends are seeing firsthand horrible treatment of people during the war. And her boyfriend is writing to her and telling her about all the things he's seeing in the front lines. And Sophie tells him, I hope you lose, mm. which is a baller move. <laughs> like, cause there's that huge effort for women to send supplies to the front. You yeah. know, this Germany's fighting a war front in Russia. Uh-huh. They're desperate for uh-huh. warm clothes, socks, stuff like that. And Sophie's like, no, I refuse. <laughs> I will not contribute to anything that yeah. pulls this war out longer than it has to be. Yeah. And I don't know how true it is, but I read this story of something that like happened to Hans and he was really like, it's, it's a kind of a long story and I don't, it deserves to not be paraphrased, but basically I say, as I paraphrase it, um, basically <laughs> he like, in, he was on a train car and he like was watching all of these Jews be forced to do hard labor and he sees a young woman and he tried to give her his like emergency rations Mm -hmm. um out of his pocket and she was like I don't want any of that like I don't want anything from you and he left her a flower instead because he was like I'm not trying to like validate my feelings what I'm doing all this stuff like he's like I'm not trying to do this out of guilt like I just wanted to make Mm-hmm. like just just do something to make this less miserable for you and and yeah. it was like a really interesting story um that I read about it and I don't know how true it is or if it was made up or what but I think it tells you a lot about how not everyone wants to be fighting the wars they're fighting yeah well we had that discussion a lot in the south uh-huh. too about the civil war yeah but not well, everyone... I think every war you know in the modern era mm-hmm. at least there is some element on all sides of people being there who don't want to be. Yeah. Um, or who don't fully realize what they're doing by being there. Yes. Because governments exploit their civilians, especially in wartime. Mm-hmm. And they lie to them and they have all these ideas and that's about why, what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think yeah. if nationalism is a terrifying thing. Yeah. Because there are people who will support a military effort no matter what it is just because mm-hmm. it has the country's military symbol on it yeah and it, it doesn't allow you to think critically you should think critically about everything you're yeah, doing absolutely um and so hans is seeing the emotional side of this he's also some of him and his friends are like medics on the line too and they're mm-hmm. just seeing like absolute destruction but hans is seeing what's happening not just to the war mm-hmm. but to jews to the minorities who are being taken off in trains and stuff mm-hmm. um so she and her brother, eventually her brother finishes his little bit of service, and she does too. And in 1942, she invo- enrolls at the University of Munich. They make good, she and her brother Hans grow closer and closer because they're there together, and they make really good <coughs> friends who had some of the same political interests as them. They're very vocal about disliking the Nazi regime, which is not very safe or common for people to be that vocal. Yeah. 
it's a pretty big risk, and they haven't even formed the White Rose yet. Just speaking out vocally, um, they find a professor, though, who also was against the Nazi Party, which is kind of hmm. surprising, because yeah. a lot of teachers had lost their jobs or were, like, say... straight up deported for yeah. not liking the Nazis. Um, and around this time, in 1942, her dad is actually arrested for speaking out against Hitler. Hmm. Like, so she knows firsthand the risks that yeah. there are to being this critical. And there was no lack of resistant movements for people to join. They're, they're already around. There are varying sizes, uh, purposes, motivations, visibilities, participations. But certain groups are more or less noticeable because, because of the demographics that make them up. For instance, women are less likely to be suspected of resistance work, and they're not going to be stopped in the streets by the SS as often. Mm-hmm. Um, you, if you look like the ideal... Aryan, you're not going to get stopped as often as someone yeah. who has, like, quote, Jewish features or something mm-hmm. like that that they were looking to hunt down at this time. Mm-hmm. So if you're like Sophie and you look like the ideal German woman, it's not as likely that you're going to be under scrutiny. Yeah. And the Nazi state obviously doesn't like these groups, and they're very attentive to which ones are growing and forming and mm-hmm. which ones are spreading information. And there are big groups, like whole entire countries have resistant movements. And then there's small ones like the White Rose that kind of start niche and manage to pull off some really influential things even due to their size. Mm -hmm. So the White Rose itself is an informal group of people who wanted to oppose the war in Nazi party. They started in 1942. Her brother Hans is the one who created it along with Willia Graf and Christoph Probst. Sophie originally didn't even know about this group being created, and she finds out one day through, I think she found her brother's, like, writing or something like that, and she Mm -hmm. found a sample of his writing that matched something else and was like, please tell me this is not you. Do you know how dangerous this is? And he was Mm -hmm. like, "Mm, well, I'm gonna gonna do (laughs) it. And then she was like, okay, then I'm going with you. Hell yeah. And I was like, girl, yes. Hell Yeah. So she didn't even know that this group was started. And then she finds out and she's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to join you. Mm-hmm. One of the common forms of communication and recruitment in this time was leaflets and pamphlets. And you see this through like the seventies, like yeah. bohemian groups publishing their own newspapers, handing well, out pamphlets. I mean, pre-internet, what else are you supposed to do? Exactly. You know? Yeah. And a lot of the times you, you can recruit off them, but you can also just like list your ideology, your ideas. You can use it as like a email, basically like a, a photo blast. Um, and if people are interested in what you're promoting, they can try to seek you out if they're, you know, they're like, oh, this is interesting. Maybe at least you leave a seed of doubt in their mind or something. Mm -hmm. So they also like pamphlets and leaflets would be a really interesting episode because there's a long history of propaganda use too. like straight up people would drop these sheets of paper over cities during the Mm -hmm. war that were just pamphlets and leaflets and like announcements. Well, in Hell's Moving Castle, a very real world (laughs) example uh-huh. of this happening but the scene where they like fly over and or the boat comes in and they're like don't touch those that's enemy enemy propaganda yeah and i was like mm-hmm. what's on those yeah, i'm gonna read them really interesting history that man that'd be a cool episode okay that would that would be yeah we gotta write that one down um write that down write that down there's so many things about the wars that you can talk about anyways <sighs> yeah there yeah. is so the white rose makes about six of these pamphlets in total They would mail them to people all over Munich, and the people that got them weren't necessarily shy about handing them over to the Gestapo. So, like, it's not... I was going to say, I feel like it sounds... Like, that would be really easy to trace. It's very risky. It's incredibly risky. The problem um, 
is that, like like you said, they leave a physical trail. Yeah. So most of the early leaflets and pamphlets were mailed out to people directly or put in envelopes before they were delivered. But the Gestapo does notice that these have been scattered openly at the University of Munich. Mm. They weren't addressed. And they're like, okay, well, obviously we need to put a stop to this. The odds are someone handing them out is either involved in some way at the University of Munich or they realize that students are a good demographic to get riled up. And they assume that these pamphlets are going to be, you know, like, repeated. So they're kind of keeping their eye on the area. They're telling, mm-hmm. kind of getting their, everyone, like, everyone reports everyone to everything. This is that paranoia. It's almost like the Red Scare, but yeah. everyone was scared of, like, all the Nazis are scared of decent people. That's, that's it. Yeah. And the pamphlet, the first one, well, I should say this, they all address different things. There's, they, they're pretty good about putting a theme in each of their pamphlets. Some were aimed at the German people and helping them realize that the war itself was like immoral and that they're under Hitler's thumb and that they're being corrupted. Some of them were about the treatment of the Jews and directly saying like, this is what's happening. They're being killed. They're being deported. We can't stand for this. Others are just about the White Rose and what their goals are, what they eventually wanted to be and do. And if you want to read the pamphlets and what their writing is, they're available. You can find them online as well as like the specific timeline of how they were distributing all these. But if I went into that, this, oh my gosh, this would take like three hours. So yeah. I'm not going to go into details and I'm not going to read each of those pamphlets out to you. Yeah, but... no, that would be, that would be a really boring episode. <laughs> I, yeah, you'd probably start falling asleep. There's so many pamphlets. Yeah. And they're getting funding, too. They're, you yeah. know, the people are joining, giving them a little bit of money mm-hmm. here and there. Some people are giving it to them just on goodwill. They say, like, we need some money. And they're like, okay, don't really know you, but, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I trust you. And they're seeing, they're, oh, my gosh, they're being so careful. They are going to different shops to collect the stamps and envelopes so that, you know, no shop is like, oh, yeah, we saw a bunch of students in here buying right. every single stamp we own. They're trying yeah. to source from different places mm-hmm. so that nothing gets tracked. They aren't um, functioning with mass mail either. They're hand-delivering them sometimes. Mm. They There's records of them taking, like, the pet pills that the army was taking at the time just mm-hmm. so they could stay awake long enough to run around and deliver them all by hand. They Whoa. were doing everything they could to... Whoa not lead it back to them. They yeah. even sent some of the uh, letters out of town to pop up in other areas mm-hmm. so that they're like, oh, so the Gestapo might be like, oh, it's not just Munich. It's, it's right, they're growing. Right. They're, yeah. they're everywhere. It's a virus. Yeah. Um, and one of the pamphlets inspires so much anger in the Gestapo that they dedicate like a whole investigation just to finding out who this resistance group is. Huh. Around this time, some anti-Nazi graffiti pops up around the university in Munich mm, itself. Suspicious. And some of the leaflets are being copied on mimeograph machines and distributed. So it's not just the White Rose anymore. Mm. People are, like, seeing this and going, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. And they're, like, spreading it on their own. Kind of the viral thing. Mm-hmm. And they show up at the University of Hamburg next. And it's just, the Gestapo is probably, I'm imagining them running around with, like, chickens with their heads cut right, off. Like, trying right. to figure out where they are. But it's definitely too many for single print, so they know they're having help. Tensions are rising at the university, not just with the resistance group, but all over the place. There's a man Paul, called Paul Geisler who went to the auditorium and basically had, like, this school assembly. And he talks to the students, and, like, there's plenty of women in the room at this university still. He starts talking about how women shouldn't be in school, about how they should be 
well-bred and on the arm of a man and that their mm. goal is to produce children. Yeah. And he talks about how, like, students shouldn't be leaving university with messed up ideas and basically anti-Nazi ideas. And that the only thing they really know is that, like, it is all through Hitler that we do this. That yeah. it, he is our leader, etc. This guy sounds like he sucks. He makes... Oh, he does. He makes some comments that are so sexist and derogatory, basically saying, like, ah, I don't... The gist of it's like if you're not pretty enough, I'll set you, I'll I'll find one of my men to take you. Like, oh my God. like it's bad. Jeez. It's really bad. And he, um, some of the women at this point start yelling back, and they're getting vocal, and they're like standing up on their chairs, and they're like screaming at him during Hell this assembly, yeah. which is a very unusual sight. He probably did not expect to be that. He was like, that oh. people vocally argue with him. Yeah. Uh, he calls the SSR. SS guards in to start arresting these women and these people who are yelling at him and some of the male students stand up and they start like like fighting and it creates like this actual fight in the auditorium. (laughs) Wow. And some of them manage to escape through the doors and they start marching in a procession together towards the university from the auditorium. Yeah. The police show up though, uh, force them out of the streets with threats of violence and make them disperse. The White Rose sees this and they're like, yes. Like we, we have there's progress. The student body is paying attention to these issues and they probably felt pretty proud because they've been distributing information about, you know, like Mm -hmm. standing up for what you believe in. And I'm sure that they believe part of this is due to their own, you know, their influence to them encouraging people. Mm -hmm. So the white rose is in this place of actual influence. And I'm sure that they felt like so excited and they were just so ready to get the next pamphlet out there. I can't even imagine how empowering that would be to realize yeah. that you're having, you're having, you can like see influence. the effects. Yeah. Yeah. So on the 18th of February in 1943, Sophie and Hans arrive at the university with a suitcase. It is full of their pamphlets and they know that the rooms are, it's almost like a passing period. They know the rooms are about to let out and mm-hmm. that the halls are about to be full of people. Mm hmm. And they start dropping leaflets everywhere in the corridors. They start just throwing them everywhere, thinking that students will be able to just, you know, like, pick them up, stick them in a pocket, keep going, read it later when you're obviously not, like, being watched, all that stuff. They empty most of the suitcase, but um, Sophie runs up to the top level, and she's got a bunch of them, and she turns and she flings them over the edge of the railing so that they float down mm-hmm. to the bottom where they'll like spread out to people in the courtyard yeah. um, and they would thrown them out of windows outside of the building too. So mm-hmm. people would have them outdoors mm-hmm. and watching them without their realization is a boy in the Nazi party, Jacob mm-hmm. Schmidt. He reportedly saw them throw some of the pamphlets from the third story window to the courtyard. And some say uh, that a janitor also saw it and reported it mm-hmm. because he was in the hall. This janitor apparently was, later um credited like with like applause and appreciation from the nazi party the police immediately find sophie and hans and take them in the police physically search them and find a draft in their pocket of the leaflet with terms Mm -hmm. matching what was printed so they know that these two are the ones that wrote it and it matches sophie's handwriting Hmm. they found a sample of it in their apartment and it matches her hans and sophie try to protect each other they end up making their way through the interrogation without ever condemning each other. Um, but they are still sent to court for trial. Mm-hmm. It's not just them, though. Christoph Probst has been taken in as well. They are not allowed to have a defense lawyer. They are assigned someone to kind of defend them who's just trash at it completely. Mm-hmm. They, the Nazis don't want them to win. They don't want them yeah, to have a representation. No. 
Sophie insists on taking the same punishment as her brother, says, I'm as guilty as he is. Just because mm. I'm a woman, I will not accept anything less than Hans takes. And when she realizes that they have her handwriting to match the draft, she mm-hmm. confesses. She's mm-hmm. trying to get them out of this so that uh, she'll take the blame if it means everyone else is okay. Yeah. Um, but she refused to directly implicate any of her friends. Some, some of her friends, someone calls her parents and they try to tell them like, hey, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. And the parents mm-hmm. race to the Gestapo headquarters trying to see their children. They're told, though, that the trial won't start for a couple more days and that they can't visit over the weekend. They hear from others that the court's like basically already in session and they're... There's not time. Mm. Their their kids are already... You know the verdict. They yeah. knew what was going to happen. Yeah. And their parents weren't even allowed to be in the room for the trial. And when they tried, they were told that... The guard basically told her, Mrs. Mag- Magdalena, that if you had raised your children better, this wouldn't be what you were dealing with. And their father, Robert, tried to break past the guards at, in the door to insist that he be allowed to see his children or help represent them, but they dragged him away. Mm. The presiding justice was a staunch Nazi, and throughout the most of the trial was aggressively like yelling and becoming aggravated and physically reactive, just mm. like what you assume for that aggressive Nazi justice. Yeah. Um, and Sophie wasn't exactly about to hold back during this trial either. She wasn't going to play this, like, docile girl who was repentant and, oh, I didn't know what I was doing or anything. She she was going mm-hmm. to own it. Mm-hmm. And I almost wonder sometimes if she provoked him on purpose, like, the judge, just because she could. Yeah. Because being unapologetic about it would be provocative enough for people like that. Mm-hmm. And she famously said, somebody, after all, had to make a start. What we wrote and said is also believed by many others. They just don't dare express themselves as we did. And later she also Mm. said, you know the war is lost. Why don't you have the courage to face it? She is, like, calling them out in the middle of this courtroom. She really is. And she's 21? 21. Wow. And this is not a fair trial by any means. Absolutely not. No witnesses for the defense. Yeah, no. No real defense attorney, and they are sentenced to death. Jesus Christ. And I didn't know this originally. I found an account of this, and I'm hoping it's true. Um, But apparently their brother, Werner, was in court that day in his uniform, Mm. And managed to get to them and like hold their hand for a second before he had before they were taken away back mm-hmm. to the back to their prison and eventually they allow the parents to see each of the children individually and personal accounts from the family say that Hans held his head up and walked out with pride when he met his parents and then he was taken back away. Sophie was brought out to see her parents. Um, her mom offered her candy that Hans didn't want and. Her mother was saying, like, I'm never going to see you again. You're never going to walk through that door. And Sophie basically told her, don't worry. I'm just missing out on a few more years than you. Mm. And she didn't cry. She didn't do anything until she got back to her cell. And one of the Nazi guards saw her, like, start crying once she got there. And apparently she held it together the entire time she was with her parents until she was alone again. Well, alone, I say that there was a woman in her cell with her who... Mm. Mm-hmm. said some of this later and talked yeah. about what happened. Um, yeah. Both of the children were very proud of the fact that they hadn't ratted out anyone um, and managed to take most of the responsibility. Unfortunately, Christoph Probst was, there was no chance that he could plead innocent mm-hmm. either from this. He never had any family visit him though, because his wife was in the hospital having their third child. Ooh. And they never even knew that he was on trial until it was passed. 
Yikes. He did have a Catholic priest come talk to him and give him something that I kind of understand to be like the last rites. That's kind of the closest thing I understand it to. Mm -hmm. Um, But the members of the White Rose who were sentenced to death um, were reported to be all the way to their actual death completely like proud and steadfast in their in their convictions so much that the guards were impressed and let them see each other before the sentence was carried out. Mm. So Sophie Hans and Kristoff were all allowed to be together and share a cigarette. Some of the guards noted that this was a huge risk for them to allow those three to be together, that it broke all protocol, but they were so impressed by how they conducted themselves that they figured that was the last they could do for this group of friends. Wow. Um, the reported there's, we know Sophie's last words. We don't know whether she said it to a guard um, I've heard it both that she said it to a guard before she left her before the actual execution, mm-hmm. or she said it, said it to the woman who was sharing her cell overnight, Elsie mm-hmm. Gebel. Um, but she famously said, "How can we expect righteousness to prevail when there is hardly anyone willing to give himself up individually to a righteous cause? Such a fine sunny day, and I have to go. But what does my death matter if through us thousands of people are awakened and stirred to action?" Whoo! That is. She thought about that for a while. She, she was ready. Yeah. And without flinching, she was the first one at the guillotine, then Kristoff, and then Hans, who yelled right before he was beheaded, long live freedom. Mm. The Gestapo continued to hunt down members of the White Rose after this, including Alex Schmorl, who was killed at 25, Willie Graff, who was also killed at 25, and their professor that they were working with, mm. Kurt Hoover, who was 49. Wow. So to a lot of people, Sophie and her brother and the other members of the White Rose are martyrs. They mm-hmm. stirred some others to action in their own time. Um, but as I said, the rest of the White Rose was viciously hunted down as well. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate so much that they were university students who were willing mm-hmm. to stand up for that because... I think people, like you said, it's like high schoolers sometimes. Like high school and you don't... People underestimate young adults. Absolutely. And they write them off as like hysterical or emotional because they're young. Mm -hmm. Or they talk about universities being a place of indoctrination. And I'm like, this is not about indoctrination. It's about people leaving their hometowns, leaving what they grew up with to come up and realize what's Mm -hmm. right and wrong and what they're willing to sacrifice for the things they believe in. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's why I hate that narrative of indoctrination at universities. It's not indoctrination. It's just finding your conscience. Yeah. Well, I mean, you and me... (laughs) Radically changed from... I radically changed from where I was in high school. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we go to a Christian school in the South. Mm Mm-hmm. And we still ended up where we are now. Yeah. Which, if you are listening to this podcast, you know exactly where we are now. Yeah. And so I I don't think that... Because if we were going to be indoctrinated here, it would not be in the way that we are now. No, no. So I think that, that there's not a lot of truth to that. Yeah. To the that indoctrination. Yeah, indoctrination. I think it's really... And that's... It's a common thing that we... That, after Sophie and Hans, like, you continue to see it in this time that university students... Uh, spoke out against Nazis almost mm-hmm. more than any others, and they were hunted down and killed and sent out to concentration camps because yeah. they realized where value is, what right and wrong is. Mm-hmm. And I, it's not indoctrination, it's just finding your morals. And to, for Sophie to find that, and her brother and the entirety of the White Rose to be students, and I think that's why student organizations can sometimes actually be kind of feared by the government because they are powerful. 
mm-hmm. is a powerful thing to f- to be finding your footing in the world. And um, there is a plaza at the University of Munich now named after them awesome. with a kind of a monument. And there are tons of streets and schools all over Germany named for the members of the White Rose. Mm-hmm. There's multiple movies about her and the White Rose. There's the one from 2005, um, which is Sophie Scholl, The Final Days. And um, there's also the film called The White Rose, which I've watched in German class, actually. Um, mm. And there are books on the topic, like The White Rose, which was written in 1970 by their sister, Inga Scholl. Uh, A Noble Treason, which was written in 1979 by Richard Hanser. And An Honorable Defeat, written in 1994 by Anton Gill. And there's others, too, but those are some really interesting pieces of reading if you want them especially ingos because like to hear it from that perspective is really incredible yeah but um that like i just adore yeah i adore her i i i cannot imagine like in like pictures of her like she it's jarring because she looks so young Mm -hmm. like she's got a at one point she had like a pixie cut Mm -hmm. and it's like a famous picture of her. You might even recognize it if you saw it, but like, it's so evident that this was like a young girl who was just trying to do what she was, what was right. And had complete conviction that she would do nothing. Yeah. But what she thought was ethical. And Mm -hmm. I, I think that's why I love stories and I'll keep doing it. If y'all like them, let me know because I want to keep doing them. I find like, yeah, no, this was really good. Yeah. I just, I find those people who stand up in the face of anything to be like, yeah. The best people in the world. Holding Hell to yeah. your convictions to that point is incredible. Yeah. So. Well, she sounds like an absolute badass. So. She was. I adore Good her. for her. The least I can do, since I probably won't name be naming my own children, uh, is to name my dogs after her. So one of them will probably be Shoal. There you go. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kat. That was really good. Thank you. I tried to keep it relatively fast because I know that you have quite the quite the big um yes project to cover i do okay we are back to regularly scheduled programming because i had to take a break because these headphones were making me hot but while we were on um hiatus there yeah yeah i should have mentioned i wanted to add something yeah yeah um during the trial sophie uh ended up somehow along the way with a broken leg so Mm -hmm. you can make that inference what you will about how she was treated in in yeah. the prison. Well, I I can I can almost guarantee Kat that it wasn't great. No, I you know I would. I I don't think that it would be me assuming a lot of things to say that she wasn't treated great by the Nazis. You know, I think that's a fair assumption. Yeah, I think so too. All right, y'all. Yeah, hit me with yours, Kaylee, because I'm very interested. Oh my god. Okay, so I'm going to apologize right now because I did not exactly know what I got myself into when doing this. And turns out I got myself into a lot. So today I'm going to, again, do something very drastically different than whatever World War II story Kat's covering. Mm-hmm. Um, and World War II stories. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I am covering, and well, not covering, I should say, I'm doing an overview of Mayan mythology Love it. I know so little about this compared to what I should know. Well, I thought I was pretty familiar with it. Turns out, uh, no. That's one of the, it's almost a satisfying feeling though. To like, like, I know it now. Like I thought I knew it, but now I really know it, you know? So that one professor who we had in undergrad, that was, was it Aztec mythology she did? Yeah, I think so, but I never got to take it. That might be, 
Well, no, no, no. Just in like when she would lecture in big group. think it was yeah. was it aztec yeah. okay that probably is what i'm thinking of then because i was like this is interesting but none of this sounds familiar and i know i, <laughs> I learned know about this at one point so to get started uh i just need to do a few disclaimers because of how much information this is i have basically had to just copy and paste a lot of this stuff because trying to put it into my own words would be literally a nightmare <laughs> Um, and I just want to quote my sources or cite my sources really quick because obviously we are history people and it's important to do that. So I, the articles I used the most were, um, Mayan mythology in overview by a website called Symbol, Symbol Sage. Uh, haven't heard of them, but they had some pretty interesting information. And then I also really heavily relied on the Mayan Pantheon, The Many Gods of the Maya by World History Encyclopedia. And this was a really detailed look at all of, or at least all of the gods that we still have record of at this point. Um, And then I also will be quoting, or I guess reading the transcript of a YouTube video about the Mayan creation story that was... uh, made by the Smithsonian National Museum of the American Indian. And this video actually has a lot of really cool, uh, like, visuals to go along with it. So, and it's only, like, about three minutes long, so I would encourage you to go watch that. But I will read the transcript from that video to explain the creation story. So I just wanted to cite my sources really quick before we get into this. So, the I appreciate reason... that. As a history person, I do appreciate that. Yeah. Um, especially because I'm relying so heavily on... Yeah. Like, you know. So, the the reason why I didn't know exactly what I was getting myself into is because apparently the Mayan pantheon, which is just, you know, the mythology as a whole, is um, one of the biggest in the world in all of, like, world history. Uh, there's over 250 deities featured in the pantheon. Do you know how many are in Greek off the top of your head? I don't know. I don't actually and I should have looked it up but um, I'll do it. You keep going. I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, So the reason why this is so big is just because the Mayan empire itself was so big. At its height it compromised the Yucatan Peninsula the Quintana Roo, Campeche, Tabasco, and Chiapas in Mexico and southward through Guatemala, Belize, El Salvador, and Honduras. Uh, So the Mayan Empire was just massive, basically spanning from central Mexico all the way down to South America. And so you have all of those different people groups kind of contributing to this one mythology. Uh, So not every god was kind of worshipped in the same way in every city-state. However, what the god kind of symbolized to the people remained the same. So they had very similar ideas of what was happening, but uh, they might not have been, the religion might not have been viewed in the same way uh, throughout the whole empire. So this does mean that there are um, some, some pretty major differences in specifically names. And you'll, you'll hear this later when I get into kind of, reading about each deity itself um but the names are very different however what that god did or represented remains kind of the same throughout Mm. and we also have um differences in just kind of the stories that went along with the mythology and cosmology and everything um so you do get those slight differences throughout the mayan empire but i think that's pretty common for empires that are so massive yeah at its height 
the Mayan Empire was thought to have had around 10 million people, which is huge. Um, Where is that in comparison to Ottoman? I'm not sure, but they were two very different time periods. They are. I'm just always... I always... My brain tries to contextualize size. Yeah. It's like when someone says, like, oh, yeah, Britain, we drive an hour to go to the next country or, like, yeah. Europe. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I drive an hour to get my next city. Like, <laughs> right. No, yeah. So... And I think that the thing to keep in mind, too, is there was a lot less people in the Americas at this point than there were in Europe and Space versus the other, population and yeah, all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for the Americas, having 10 million people in an empire is an insanely huge empire. Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, the Mayan civilization, uh, we start seeing the earliest... There's kind of like a pre-Mayan period, and that's kind of also lumped together with the Olmec civilization. Um, but we can start, we kind of start calling it the Mayan or civilization around 1500 BCE. Um, and the Mayans did last essentially until colonizers showed up in the 1500s. So CE. So they were around for a long time. So unfortunately, a lot of the richness and diversity of the Mayan cosmology was lost when colonizers invaded, which is what you would expect Happens, unfortunately yeah there was one man by the name of bishop diego de landa who ordered a mass burning of any religious text in 1562 we don't love that yeah so that means we really only have a handful of volumes remaining um the biggest and probably most detailed one i believe comes from guatemala and it's a book called popol v and it this is a book that provides the names of around 250 deities um, but they were not and descriptions of those deities. However, that is just from one region of the Mayan empire. So very different. Um, so <laughs> here's my plan for what I have going forward. I am primarily going to be focusing on the gods themselves and kind of providing, uh, descriptions for them. Uh, the website, the world history encyclopedia does a really great job of kind of connecting the key stories with the key um, uh, deities themselves. So through their description, you will hear kind of more and like build out the cosmology Mm -hmm. as I go over it first. However, first I am going to give a quick overview of kind of like worldview and their creation story and all of that great stuff. And then we'll get down into the nitty gritty of the gods. So the interesting thing about Mayan creation myth is we do know of at least I believe three of them and two of them, although they are not the most popular one that we think would be the most popular one. Um, uh, two of them do actually feature some form of like a monkey God creating humans. And that's really interesting when you consider Hmm. evolution. So it's kind of like, that's interesting. It's just something, something of note. So one of these stories, um, was described in the volume I mentioned, the Papalva, and uh, I need to say right now, I am going to apologize. I'm so sorry that you have to hear me say these names <laughs> because these names are hard, y'all. This is hard. It's than I would be doing. This is, and it's it's going to be bad. So if you know how to pronounce this stuff, I am so sorry. And there's so many names that I could not, I don't physically have time to like look up pronunciation guides for every name. So I'm so sorry. Just, just going to say that I'm going to do the best I can. 
and the sounds are different than what you think they would be. So it's. I also don't know the phonetic differences between like. Yeah. This because it's not period. it's not Spanish. It's, right. Yeah, it's like the Mayan language. So it's. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's not even something that I could be like, oh, I'm kind of familiar with. No, this is just completely different. Uh, so. This one, one of the creation myths described in the Popova, as well as in various other preserved um, kind of scraps that we have around, uh, said that humanity was created by two monkeys named Hung, Hun Chovin and Hun Bats. The two were howling mon- howler monkey gods and were also called Hun Ahan and Hun Shaven in other sources. In their myth, they got permission to create humanity from the higher Mayan gods, and they did so by sculpting us from clay. So it's really interesting that we have this kind of like, it's still very similar to a creation myth, that yeah. a lot of creation myths kind of feature humanity or created through something. Yeah. But it's interesting that the monkey gods were the ones to do it. I don't know, especially when you no, th- think about really evolution. Inter- well, it's like how people believe evolution and creationism can't exist together when like almost every creation myth well i shouldn't say every but a lot of creation myths talk about like a huge storm or a huge flood and it's like there are a lot of similarities yeah it's like you have to admit that oral and and it's not like these two could communicate across the like Mm -hmm. evolutionary like across the geographic area so it's like what are the odds that they have some similarities? Interesting. It's the same it? story, just distorted by different regions. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's really interesting. Okay. So now I'm going to read the transcript from the YouTube video I mentioned because um, it does a great job kind of summarizing the creation myth. And like I said, there's a lot of really cool visuals in that video, a lot of really beautiful art. So I would recommend going and watching it. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to do my best. So this is an account of the beginning when all was stillness, silence, and water. There was no light, no land, no plants, no people, and no animals. Six deities covered in grass and covered in green and blue feathers lay in the in the primordial waters. The framer and the shaper, Tepu and Quetzal serpent, along with Jipiakok and Jimukane. These deities helped Heart of the Sky, Heart of Sky, also known as Harakin create the earth. Their spirit essence and their miraculous power gave the earth its creative energy. Now the land had a heart and they called it heart of earth. To separate the sky from the earth, they planted a tall seba tree, making space for all life. The roots penetrated deep into the nine levels of the Mayan underworld. The trunk was on the surface of the land and the branches reached up to the 13 levels of the Mayan upper world. That is really similar to North Norse oh, mythology. mythology. Yeah, yeah, the tree of like Valhalla mm-hmm. versus like no. Well, the the whole un- universe yeah. is the tree in yeah. Norse mythology. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're right. The tree has a name in Norse mythology. I'm forgetting it now, but but it leads to Judenheim. The uh, yeah, it's Judenheim and Valhalla there's a few different. And then the did Earth you take that is... class? You took Vikings. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. Um, yeah. No, there's Midgard. Midgard, yeah. Um, Midgard is Earth. Earth, yeah. But um, no, that's really fascinating. That's of interesting. Life. And there's and also, I also references to, to a tree of life in other like uh-huh. European. Well, I also places. think it's interesting that a lot of these have the idea that the sky was separated from the, the Earth. Earth. Because we've seen that a lot, too. And also that it starts out <clears> with <throat> darkness. So like uh-huh. all of these creations believe that without something light, like, there isn't life. Uh-huh. And something like the waters. and uh, It's very this interesting. Is, I love this stuff. <laughs> 
So, okay, going back. We need to do a whole episode on creation myth comparisons. Right? Uh, The plants were created next to live on the earth, and then the animals were created, but the animals did not speak and could not worship. So the deities decided to create human beings from mud. But first, these humans had no souls and were not good, quote, keepers of the day. They destroyed them them in a great flood. The deities tried another time and created humans from wood, but the wooden people would not, could not worship either, so they were destroyed. Those that survived are said to have become monkeys in the trees. The sky and earth now exist, but there was no sun and no moon. A vain bird called Seven Macaw claimed to be the sun and the moon, but this was not true. The two amazing twins, Hanajapu and Jabalanke, ja defeated Seven Macaw by shooting him with darts. The hero twins were conceived when their mother, Ixkik, spoke to the decapitated head of their father, Hun Hunapu, who spit on her hand from a cacao tree. Hun Hunapu had been killed by the lords of Jibalba, the underworld. The hero twins became great ball players, and to bring their father back to life, they challenged the lords of the underworld to a game in Jibalba. The twins were permitted to play the ball game only after they had survived a dangerous trial set for them in the underworld. Using great skill and cunning, the twins won the ball game, and this allowed their slain father to come back to life as the maze god. The hero twins left Jibalba and climbed back up to the surface of the earth. They continued up into the sky, becoming the sun and the moon. Now that the sun and the moon were in the sky and illuminated the earth, the deities created the final form of human beings using white and yellow corn. Corn is the precious substance that ultimately succeeds in producing true and enduring humans. So that is kind of, in a nutshell, their creation mythology. Okay, that creation mythology has way too many similarities that I should have A flood? Why are there floods? Well, people made it out of, like, dust and ashes, like Mm -hmm. dirt and clay. Why are there so many floods? What happened? What happened? Is it the the parallel for, like, the Ice Age or something? No, I don't know. Something happened. That is so interesting. It's so fascinating to see oral histories. Oh, my God. Because you know oral histories are what survive of that, but the fact that almost every creation myth talks Mm -hmm. about that. And that's what one of um, the articles I was reading was saying was in the 19th, 18th, and 20th centuries, there was a lot of work tried to do to capture oral histories, but because the pantheon was so vast that it was almost impossible to get like everything in there yeah but they tried and oh the best way that a 19th century historian can try also Um, talk about how like some of them weren't they weren't good enough to worship they couldn't worship so they were destroyed mm -hmm, like mm -hmm, yep and the deceiver that said he was the sun and the moon yeah that sounds like the. i'm sorry i'm speaking from a eurocentric christianity here that sounds sounds like like the serpent yeah Mm -hmm. like yeah there's and also, I, like, so there's weird, a right? lot of Norse comparisons there, and that's mm-hmm. two geographic different sides of the world that could yeah. not have communicated those similarities. No, I think it's and so the acceptance fascinating. acceptance of an underworld as well. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, this setup is very familiar. They have basically heaven, earth, hell. Which most religions have mm-hmm. a concept of a punishment, like a land of punishment, yeah. whether it be an underworld, a hell, mm-hmm. or, like, I guess incarnation well uh, but no that, that's really cool yeah like, yeah yeah hmm. no for sure and also i just want to take a quick side note um i know that there's going to be the question about human sacrifice and um i am not going to do that today because I that. that is a huge thing and it, it has a lot of nuance and i don't have time for that 
Um, it was primarily a religious yes. ceremony, yes. right? Okay. From what I saw, the Mayans primarily executed humans. They were primarily prisoners of war, really high profile prisoners of okay. war. They did sacrifice humans to the gods. I Because I decided not to do that today, I did not look into it very much. Yeah. Um, however, I do think that it would be really fascinating to do a whole episode on Mayan culture based mm-hmm. on, because um, a key part of this cosmology and mythology and religion mm-hmm. is that every part of life is deemed or ruled by another deity. So this was very all consuming for them. Their religion was constant every day. And so a lot of their cultural practices came out of that religion and how to worship their gods. And that's so fascinating to me because I was raised in a religion under which one deity Mm -hmm. um, kind of overlooks your whole life. You don't have to like pray to a different deity if you need help on your exam versus like you just need help Mm -hmm. when you go or like the saints even like I don't pray to saints yeah but like there Mm -hmm. are parts of Christianity that acknowledge them as like the saint of Mm -hmm. you know health or hospitals and versus the worker like yeah and that's super interesting to Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. yeah so they had different deities obviously we've talked about kind of the sun and the moon they did have a deity for the milky way most stars and planets and constellations, mountain ranges, certain peaks. They had different weather conditions, all had their own deities that ruled them. Um, all animals were different, had different deities, the trees and the forest, as well as even agricultural instruments. And even, which I found really interesting, diseases and ailments. That was really interesting hmm. to me. Are they bad deities <clears throat> then? Did they say anything about that? If they were like... Um, I think it kind of, as so many mythologies are, mm-hmm. the gods are good and bad. Okay. Because you see that in like Greek and Roman myth too. Well, less in Roman, but really in Greek, you see... There's some in certain indigenous cultures yeah. too. Yeah. The gods are never morally, you know... Put into a box. You can't put... Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They are very much humans. I mean, you can't do that with a god. Christianity either. Even Christians don't yeah. agree whether God is wrathful or if he mm-hmm. is benevolent. Like, mm-hmm. So, as I mentioned before, um, there is, you know, your classic kind of view of they have an underworld, an earth, and then a heaven structure. So, Jibalba, which translates to place of fright, is the term for their underworld. Um, and earth the land that earth was on was believed to be on the back of the turtle of a turtle, which I it, have heard that. Yeah. Okay. I kind of wish that was true. I want to live on a giant turtle. <laughs> and the heavens, uh, the structure of the heavens was made up of 13 layers. that were all kind of stacked on top of each other. Um, and Jibaba as well, I believe is nine layers. And later on, I do have some more specific information about them that I pulled from the website. Let me see if I can find it. Okay, so the world tree, which is the one I mentioned earlier. Uh, so this is the Great Siba Tree of Life, which is also known as the Yakshi Tree, has its roots in the underworld, grows up through the middle world, which is Earth, and has its branches in heaven, so paradise. It grows up through the nine levels of Jubalba, passes through the earth, and continues on into the 13 levels of Tamo... 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 Whoa. Okay. Tam-o-a-chan, which is their term for heaven. The base of the world tree grows from the cracked shell of the cosmic turtle and climbs... Wait, I lost my place. 
and the limbs can be seen as the Milky Way in a north-south orientation. In the axis of the world tree sits the bird god Itsam Ye, who knows all the secrets of the planes of ex- all three planes of existence. And then there's also this concept known as ways. So in the Mayan belief, every day has its own energy, and this energy will either aid or hinder one uh, hinder one in one's path in any given day. The ways or wayobs are any one of a class of protector spirits whose energy aids and directs one through the course of a day. So in life, every person has a way who tends to that individual spiritually. A way may manifest itself physically as an animal to help guide someone. And in this aspect, they would also be recognized as totems or totemic guides. The ways uh, may also communicate through dreams in which a dreamer is brought to the wayib, the dreaming place, where individual souls may communicate directly with their way. Even the gods of the Maya have a way attached to them, which guides and directs their energy of the deity, if that god is open to such guidance. So I think that's really interesting, too. That also sounds a lot like a guardian angel. Yeah. I... I'm just saying. And so a little bit more about Jubaba itself. So Jubaba is actually the specifically the Yucatec Mayan term for the underworld. Other places had different names for it, such as the Quiche or I think Quiche. Yeah. Quiche. Mayan word for uh, for Jubaba was called Metnal. The name means, as I said, place of fright and was thought to be populated by the Jubalbans, who were dark, secretive and dangerous and hostile to human beings. At death, the soul of the individual had to pass through Jivalba before reaching paradise. And if that soul were particularly unfit, would remain in Jivalba at the mercy of the various deities like Saijin for an eternity. At the same time, however, it would it should be noticed that a number of lords in of a number of the lords of Jubaba are associated with regeneration and rebirth, and in no way should Jubaba be equated with the Christian concept of hell. Mm. So, there. I've heard the term Jubaba somewhere before. Jubaba is a name of a band. It's not that. I think I. It's like a metal band. Maybe I think I might know it. Maybe I did go to an exhibit on on this when it was going through Dallas. So I mean, it's I kind of a cool it, but... word. So if you probably heard it somewhere. Um, this is actually a much smaller band than I thought it was, but I have, I have friends who listen to them. Um, I just popped shame on me. Uh, yeah, sorry. It was just, it's kind of a really cool word. So I could, I would understand like why you would like pick it out of like an exhibit and like remember it, you know, stuck with me or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, uh, that's kind of, you know, worldview creation myth where we're at, how they functioned. So now I'm going to kind of go into the different gods and um, talk about them. So sorry if this is kind of all over the place. The website I found was in alphabetical order and not necessarily structured how I would have structured it. But um, yes. So the first god we're going to talk about is a god by the name of Idsam, the benevolent lord of the heavens. And this is uh, the day and night cycle. So pretty important guy, uh, guy. Some of these have less in just like a little short description, but others have like whole things with mm-hmm. them. Uh, bah, bah, bah. And then there's, um, and they also have different spellings. Which... <sighs> okay. So then we have, uh... oh my God, 
sorry, I'm, I'm, this is all over the place. So we have a god by the name of Shak. And this is the powerful god of the rain, weather, and fertility. He is the supreme god of storms and rain associated with agriculture and fertility. He was known as the lord of the rain and winds and maintained important water sources such as sea notes, wells, streams, and springs. He was widely popular um, and praises and sacrifices were frequently offered to his court for his favor um, and the favor of that of four lesser shocks. A lord of the sky, he was the swarm enemy of Kamatzots of, Jival- of Shibalba and was thought as a caring, if unpredictable, deity. So pretty good all around. Mm-hmm. Then we also, as I mentioned, we have these four lesser deities called shocks, and they were four weather spirits, spirits, and they were located at each of the four corners of the world who were under the command of the great god Shock and did his baiting. So that was kind of like in his old court, whole court. Um, there is a god by the name of Echua, and this is the violent god of war, human sacrifice, and death in combat. We have a god by the name of Akan. Uh, this is the god of the Mayan Balkatri, bal- bal- wine, intoxication, and wine and wine and intoxication in general. So <laughs> you always got to have the drunk god, right? Um, so then we have a god. Seems to be a crowd favorite too, right? We have a god by the name of Amun, who's the god of corn and agriculture. As I mentioned in the creation myth, corn or maize was really important to the Mayan culture and quite literally what humans were made out of. So any god relating to corn has a really big role. And is this god is usually depicted as young with a corn ear headdress. Then we have Apuk, who is the malevolent, uh, malevolent god of death in the Mayan underworld. And we have Sizen, who I think I kind of mentioned before. Uh, this god has also is also associated in the names with Kaizen, Yang Kimmel, Yum Kimmel, Apuk, who, yeah, that's why I have them right next to each other, Apuk, because that was right there. And he was the god of death who lived in Javalva. He is often, often pictured as a dancing human skeleton smoking a cigarette. Hmm. That's kind of fun. <laughs> I probably shouldn't call the god of the underworld fun, but you know, that sounds like a cool tattoo. Yeah. Um, He's further identified by his death collar of human eyes dangling from nerve endings. Sizing came upon one suddenly without warning, but was accompanied by a foul smell. So he was called the stinking one. Unlike the other death god aspects with whom he is associated, Sizen is not associated with the regeneration or rebirth. He gives the souls of evil people in the underworld because they are subjected to torments, uh, where they are subjected to his torments and trickery. Post-conquest, so post-colonization, he became closely identified with the Christian devil. So that's kind of their close, like Hades and Mm. all that kind of stuff. Then we have a, a god by the name of Jaman Ek. And... Um, I did pull these from two different websites, which why I kind of have a lot of names going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this uh, Shaman Egg is a god of travelers and explorers, professions with them, which the Mayans had to perform without the help of riding animals. That is true. They didn't have any load-bearing animals until colonization. Uh, wow. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we have the god, um, a little bit more about the god Aachen. So he is the god of intoxication, wine, and the art of brewing balke, which is a kind of strong need. His name either means belch or groan and is associated with the Lacandon Mayan god of drunkenness who is named Boar or Bull. So there's, again, we have all these different gods everywhere. 
Um, and then we have a god by the name of Akat. And this is, I put this in here as just a little fun one. I don't think it was one of their primary deities, but I was like, this is cool. Uh, so this is a god by the name of Akat. Uh, he is the god of the art of tattooing and the patron Ooh. of tattoo artists. He's also associated with the growth and development of fetuses. He's further further known by the names of Akat Kib and Akat. <laughs> Okay. And then we have the Bacabs, and these are four gods of the winds and the directions who hold up the four corners of the world. So this is kind of similar to the shocks I mentioned before. Uh, in Yucatec Maya, they are known as the Maluk um, of the east, Khan of the south, Ix of the north, and Kuak of the west. Maluk and Khan generated positive energies, so the gods of the east and the south were positive energies, while Ix and Kuak, so west and north, were thought to have been negative forces. This confluence of negative and positive energies enabled the world, the the early gods to create human beings and the physical and non-physical worlds. Uh, they are associated with the deities Akat, Akna, Baklam, Sham, and Chin. Um, and then we have Buluk Shabtan, who is also known as God F. So what's really interesting is we have descriptions of a lot of gods, but we don't have names for all of them. So okay. if you look further into Mayan mythology, you'll see kind of one who's like, this is God A, God B, God C, God F. Mm-hmm. So this deity is the God of war, violence, and death to hum. Uh, and so this is, I said his name earlier. This is just more information on him. Um, so he also is known as Achua, who I talked about a little bit before, um, whom human beings were sacrificed to regularly in the Dresden Crocodile. Whoa, okay, that's a normal word. I've just been reading all these other words. <laughs> in the Dresden Codices, he is depicted as being eaten by maggots. He is further depicted in setting homes on fire, killing people, and roasting them on skewers over a fire. Oh my. So if there was ever a god to appease, it would be him. So it makes sense why people were sacrificed to him. Yeah. Um, and so there, then we have a, a god by the name of Chin, who is also, so C-H-E-N. And then another name they were spelled by is C-H-I-N. Uh, she was the goddess of maze, magic, and a counselor to the kings. And this is why I wanted to bring her up. She was also closely associated with homoerotic relationships and homosexuality. And according to the priest Las Casas, she introduced homosexuality to the Mayan nobles who encouraged their children to enter homosexual marriages. She is associated with the moon and sometimes is depicted as a male entity. So I thought that was really interesting. interesting. And then we have a group of d- deities known as four, the 400 Boys. So, considered to be the patron deities of alcohol and later the Pleiades, in the Popolva, the 400 boars were youths who wished to build a hut on the beach but could not fit the massive tree that they had cut down to use as the main support column. They asked the giant Zipacna, who was reclining nearby for help. Zibakna agreed to use his great strength to move the tree, but mocked the boys for their weakness and inability to do so themselves. The boys agreed together that Zibakna should be killed, but he overheard their plan, tricked them into thinking he was dead, and killed them. They ascended to the heavens and may be seen today as a star cluster known as Pleiades. Zibakna was later killed by the hero twins, so the ones from the creation myth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... The next god is one of the most important, if not the most important, of the Mayan gods. Uh, this is a god by the name of 
Gukumats. Uh, and he... Names, names, names. So... So this is also Quetz, Quetzalcoatl, which is... I'm familiar with that name of his. So Gukumats is also Quetzalcoatl in uh, the Nahuatl. I don't know. <laughs> this is really Nahuatl language, Quetzalcoatl. And I do, I am familiar with this. So this means the plumped serpent or the Quetzal feathered serpent. And he was worshipped early in the first century BCE in the great city of Teotihuacan. And Gukumats is identified as one of the 13 deities who shaped the world and created human beings. From Gukumats, humans learned the rules of laws, agriculture, literacy, the arts, medicine, architecture, construction, hunting, fishing, and all other aspects of civilization. He is said to have come from the sea, conveyed to the people his gifts and ruled wisely over them and then returned to the sea promising to come back one day the god of all four elements he was also the representation of co-mingling of good and evil light and darkness and so became a central figure to in many of the myths of the maya and popularly depicted in various forms in virtually every city state so this is a big like this yeah, is the head a, honcho yeah almost. quetzalcoatl and i do know his name from um just classes and stuff as um <clears throat> as Kukulkan, he is the great plump serpent who glides down the steps of El Castillo at Shishin Itza on the spring and autumn equinoxes and is thought to bring positive energy to the earth to those present at his descent. So he is a big, big deal. And then we have the hero twins themselves, which we heard a little bit about them in the creation myth story, but their names are Hunapu and Jibalanke, who also has another spelling of his name. <laughs> and they are the two mythical heroes of the Maya, whose story is preserved in the Quiche Maya work, the Popol Vuh. Um, they are born of the virgin goddess, um, which I will get to her description later because she's kind of fun. Um, her name is Ikshel, and uh, after the ser- severed head of their father, Hun, who, who, Hunapu, spit into her hand from a calabash tree in the underworld of Jibaba, uh, Jibalba, raised by their mother and their grandmother, the twins became great ball p- players, excelling at the game of the gods, Pakatak. Once attaining manhood, they avenged themselves on the lords of Jubaba who had murdered their father and uncle by accepting their invitation to the underworld where a series of traps and tests awaited them. They escaped these traps and snares set for them and defeated the forces of chaos and darkness. They then attempted to bring Hun Hunapu back to life, and though they succeeded in putting his body back together and reanimating him, he could not return to the earth above. The twins promised him, however, that humans would go to pray for him for hope and comfort, and he would be remembered and honored. The promise was kept as Hun Hunapu became the maze god, a dying and reviving god figure who appears on earth as corn. Ascending from Jubalba, they meant to stop in the middle world of the earth, but continued climbing up the world tree into paradise, where even then they desired to climb higher and so became the sun and the moon. The Euro twins have been thought to represent the legitimacy of the Mayan ruling class, though this theory has been disputed. There is no doubt that their story was very popular among the Maya, as the twins are depicted in artwork throughout the region, often playing their famous game. Based on these paintings, it seems clear that many 
tales concerning the hero twins have been lost and the Pulpaville is only it's one of the only surviving texts of their story. Wow. So they were pretty central, but we just don't have those stories anymore. Um so then we have a god by the name of Hunab Ku. And so while um uh the god I mentioned before, Gukumats or Quetzalcoatl was probably the most popular of the gods. Uh, this uh, Hunabku is considered the supreme deity of the pantheon and is known as Sol God, S-O-L-E God. While some scholars have asserted his antiquity, he seems most likely a concept which arose following the Christianization of the Maya during the Spanish conquest and closely resembles a Christian god. He is invisible and without form, but can be apprehended through the aspect of the god Itzamna, referred to as his son. Hunabku is the husband of Aixalvo, the divine mother, associated with water, life, and weaving. Some inscription refers to him as, quote, the eyes and ears of the sun, and substantiating in the claim that, like the Christian God, he is ubiquitous and knows all. So what I think happened there is he, this idea kind of existed before, but as Christians came and forced their worldview on them, yeah. all of a sudden he had a much bigger role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we're going to talk about the father of the hero twins, uh, Hun Hunapu, and he is also known as the main god. So as I said, he was, he died and, but was returned back to life by his sons and he returns in the form of corn. And so is identified, um, as a dying and reviving God figure. So the father of the great hero twins, Hunapu and Jibalanke Hun Hunapu and his twin brother Vukub Hunapu were the demigods were demigods who, after the creation of the world, became proficient in the ball game of the gods Pakatak. The lords of Jibaba beneath the earth became enraged by the noise of the twins and devised a plan to get rid of them. They invited the young men to the underworld to play a game of Pakatak. Before the game could begin, however, the twins were tricked by the Jibalbans and killed. Oh. Hun Hunapu's head was placed on the axis of a cal calabash tree on which uh on which grew heavy with strange fruit the young version um each shell came upon the tree and reaching for the fruit was asked by the head of head to open her palm hun hunapu's head spat into the maiden's hand and she became pregnant with hun hunapu and jibalanke the head then sent the girl to live with her mother zoom munakene so that is the twin's father now we're going to talk about the mother so the mother's name is Jikik, um, and she is also known as the Blood Moon Goddess and the Blood Maiden. She is the daughter of Kuchumakik, one of the lords of Shivalba, and the virgin mother of the hero twins Hunapu and Jibalanke. After the lords of Jibalba murdered Hun Hunapu and Vukub Hunapu, they placed Hun Hunapu's severed head. Oh, we've heard this a lot of times. Um... On approaching, so when Shikik was drawn in by the strange fruit of the tree, on approaching it, she was addressed by the head of Hunapu, then spit into her open poem when she became pregnant. Um, on Hun Hunapu's command, she left Jibalba and presented herself to her mother, Jumukane. After she passed, passed a text to authenticate her identity, she gave birth to the twins who were mainly raised by their grandfather. She is identified with the waning moon 
as her mother, Jumun Kane, is the waxing moon. She is also identified with Venus and depicted as a goddess of fertility and motherhood. So that is, um, and building onto that family tree, we have the parents of the hero, or the grandparents of the hero twins. So the, the mom's mothers. So the, as I say, their names was Jumunike and Jipiayak. These are hard names, y'all. I'm really proud of how you're doing so far. I have no idea if I'm saying any of these right. So these are the most ancient gods of the Mayan pantheon and the divine couple and first day keepers who helped create human beings. According to the Quiche Maya, so in the book, the Popol Vuh, um, I popped... After the 13 greater gods failed in their attempt to make human beings, they consulted with the much older gods in these two to find out what they were doing wrong. They asked the ancient couple if wood could be a proper medium for fashioning humans. The two day keepers consulted and the sacred calendar consulted the sacred calendar and said that wood seemed a workable material. But when women wooden humans were made, they were unacceptable. They could walk and talk, but had no respect for the gods and could not consult the calendar. So the gods destroyed them in a great flood. Uh, Jumukane then ground white and yellow corn together and washed her hands, saving the water to brew a sacred broth which gave life to humans who were created from the maize, thus beginning life, human life on earth. Jumunkane is the great-grandmother of Jipiayok, the great-grandfather of all human beings. She is known as a divine midwife responsible for all births, and he is the divine matchmaker in charge of arranging all mar- marriages. As the first two daykeepers, they are closely associated with the sacred Mayan calendar. Very interesting. And the last one I wanted to talk to you about today was a really cool lady goddess. So this is by the name, uh, this goddess goes by the name of Ixchel and is popularly known today as the Rainbow Goddess because her name can be translated to Lady Rainbow. Rainbow. Ixchel is associated with many different aspects of life in the cosmology, although images of her in modern time almost universally depict her as an attractive young woman with long, dark hair seated on on or near a rainbow. Ancient Mayan images consistently portray her as an old plump woman with sharp features and jaguar ears yeah i can imagine that sifting through all those you had repeats yeah well the thing is is that a lot of um a lot of these stories are really interconnected right so i feel like i'm repeating myself a lot but it's really just kind of building on the whole like yeah well and I story say, here i have no excuse i just a million times wrote all of a sudden they weren't so fan they, they didn't like Nazis and I wrote like 50 times like you gotta stop saying obviously don't support the Nazis anymore. <laughs> yeah well and like too you know because of the nature of the sources I'm pulling this from it's like yeah they're repeating themselves a lot I'm repeating myself they're a lot they're repeating each other a lot I'm sure too <laughs> yeah exactly and it's hard when things have so many different names because you're like oh is this the same person yeah uh, is it Maybe. And then you read the description, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, it is. Oops, yeah. my bad. <laughs> I get that. So, okay. So, the uh, ancient Mayan depictions present her as an old, plump woman with sharp features and jaguar ears. She's often wearing a headpiece and with a live serpent springing forth and carrying a water jug. Ixchel has been associated with the so-called Goddess O of the Dresden Codex, which the Dresden Codex, I think, is kind of the first piecing together of the Mayan cosmology. Mm. Obviously, she, so she was a rain deity. Um, and so it is thought... 
she is also thought to be the goddess of the rain, perhaps it's consort of the god Shaq, who is the weather god in general. Okay. She is, however, also associated with war, and she is sometimes depicted in ancient images with claws and surrounded or adorned with bones. I would like to be the goddess of rain and war. I'm just putting my my hand in the ring for that one. Right? I would like that. That sounds very moody, and I'm into it. Yeah. So the bishop, Diego de Landa, reported that she was the goddess of making children and also of medicine. So she just does everything, which is why I wanted to talk about her, because Hmm. she just does everything. She sounds amazing. Evidence suggests that the day keepers and physicians consulted with each shell in their arts. At the same time, she is associated through other evidences with the moon, mutability, and further with weaving and the... the arts. According to a Verapaz myth, she was the consort of Itzamna and bore him 13 sons. Whatever her main providence was, it's certain that she is greatly venerated, venerated by women, and especially those who were pregnant or wished to become so. Her shrine on the island of Cozumel is extremely po- was extremely popular and became one of the most important p- pilgrimage sites for the ancient Mayan. The island which Cortez named the Isla Mu... Oh no. No, I'm gonna have to speak you Spanish. Can do it. I, can, I believe in you. <laughs> I have to switch I have to switch to Spanish. So the Isla Mujeres or the Island of Women was so designated because of the number of goddess statues found there, Ixchel among them. Shrines to Ixchel may seen, still be seen throughout the Yucatan today, especially on Cozumel, where her image has become conflated with the, that of the myth of the Virgin Mary. And the two now share veneration and prayers of the women who continue to make the pilgrimage to the island. So, that was a lot. Yeah, but that's like... I really hope that I did a no, decent no, no, no. job. No, 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 you did a really good job. Also, I could never have even dreamed of attempting those words. I literally was trying to, like, Google one or two, and I, like, couldn't even spell it correctly there, enough. I, yeah. Because like, I wanted, like, a picture to find, like, yeah. a... Like, you were talking about how she's always depicted, like, on a rainbow now. Mm-hmm. But, and I was like, oh, I can find a picture. Yeah, and, so like, her, name is spelled, to... her name is spelled I-X-C-H-E-L. That is nowhere, no, nowhere yeah. near what I was trying to and spell. And that's, okay. I think that's the hard part because it's so different than what you would think they're pronounced as. I just really had to remember that the X made a sh sound because it's like Jibalba and like oh. all of that stuff. Um, but I, cool. my goal here was to kind of get everyone acquainted with Mayan mythology a little bit more and talk about some of the main gods. And I know it was a lot of information all at once and it was not really a story, but... I don't know. I feel like I learned more. I know more about them now. Yeah, no. Do you feel the same way, Kat? I do, too, for sure. These these are really cool pictures. I see the snake headdress. Yeah. This one. I'll have to look at them after. They're really cool. Um, yeah, so... But no, yeah, that was really good. I, thank you. I'm glad I, like, have a recap now. That's her. Oh, dude. Well, the stuff about, um... That's why I wanted to talk about her, because of the women thing and how it was, like, a pilgrimage site. Yeah. Um, which is really fascinating to me. And just all of the the crossovers, it's so bizarre how, like, the completely different sides of the world don't have identical creation myths. Not a a little bit. There are things that are undeniably similar. Just how many floods. Yeah. There's just so many floods mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Something happened. Something happened. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. What is the Norse understanding of the conception of humanity 
Um, so... Do they believe that, like, humanity was formed, or was it, like, birthed, or, like, someone cast down? Oh, god, 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 Okay, I used to know this. I took a whole, I took a whole class on Vikings. Oh, man. I, don't quote me on this, I want to say it has something to do with blood, but I could be very wrong. Okay. Um, Well, I've been watching a lot of, um, the TV show Vikings lately, but I know not to take that with any grain of salt because History Channel may be entertaining, but it is not always educational. Aliens. (laughs) Um, yeah. So Kat and I have talked about doing like episodes like this a lot Mm -hmm. of just like picking a mythology and going through it. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'd go ahead and start that process. I'm really glad you did, but now I really want to know like the cultural implications of the religion. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's definitely... I know. I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, that would be a really cool part two to do right after it. But it with be. between Disability, Disability Awareness Month and yeah. Halloween coming up, where our books saw, and yeah. um, Indigenous Heritage Month in November, it's a we are booked solid Yeah. Um, until Christmas, basically. But yeah. maybe we'll do a part two. But I also think now that, you know, we have started this process of com- or doing mythologies, as we go through them, we can build on that, like comparison yeah, no, and see so. how similar they are mm-hmm. because that is so fascinating to me but no i yeah. agree 100 percent. yeah um, okay i actually got through that a lot faster than, that was eight pages of notes y'all eight pages of notes well and i know you probably had to write out every single one of their names carefully so you could re- like pronounce it because that's i've had yeah. a couple before like where i didn't know it and i was like okay i'm not going yeah. to mess something up because i didn't sell it right into me forever and it was just pages of notes because i was like yeah, I will not no. miss the detail in here. Well, that's the thing, too, because, like, the names, because there were so many of them, I kind of just had to pay attention to what the the letters sounded like yeah. and how they were pronounced because, I, like I said at the beginning, like, I, I didn't have time to go through and, like, okay, let me make sure I'm pronouncing each right. of these names right. Yeah. Um. So, well, I mean, yeah. You finished early, and that gives us a second to do some recap stuff on this, like, the podcast itself. Can I tell them our possible idea for? Yeah, if you want to. I would love feedback on them. Yeah, on, on that from them. So we were talking that. To... What was? Oh, oh no! Was that your shoulder? Oh, that was a bad one. Oh. oh. Okay. It's in. So I'm really surprised it took 34 episodes to get that captured. To cat for a cat to dislocate. Oh my god. Everything's it, good it according to her. We're okay. It was just it didn't a... come out all the way. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, oh this yeah. is why I make sure when cat's stretching in class she just nothing pops too loud. It People literally it's that, it's sound. that sound. I'm like I like listen, I'm like, are you good? <laughs> It'll be like even louder than that sometimes. I mean Kaylee heard that through to the sound canceling headphones. Yeah. Like, yeah. That was rough. Um uh-huh. and I'm sure everyone at home did too because that's the shoulder right by your mic. Yeah. Um Oh man. It's okay, it's a little numb. It's yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so we threw around the idea of mini says because someone mentioned that, you know, sometimes we originally thought this podcast might be like 30 minutes each. We've been hitting like the 145, sometimes That's where we're at right hour. now. But to do some of these stories justice, you need that. Mm-hmm. So we were thinking of creating little like mini sods that we could use it to recap smaller things. Don't, don't quite require like that much time, but to, you know, give our commuters on the way to work, if you have like a 30 minute drive, like yeah. 15 minute story each or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, mm-hmm. If that's something y'all would like, uh, like go ahead and let us know. Drop yeah. us an email. It would probably or... be a little more structured yeah. than what like a big episode would be. Yeah. Um, 
But and I even talked about like, what if we had a couple episodes that we did where that were like, what if? Yeah. You know, like, or like small things that changed history in a big way that mm-hmm. we can't talk about for an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, talk yeah. About 15 minutes. So yeah. if y'all want mini-sode episodes, like let us know what you'd like to hear if you'd almost like it as like yeah. a series of like 15-minute recaps on presidents for the mm-hmm. next few weeks or something or the Chinese dynasty. We can't do the Chinese dynasty <laughs> in 15 minutes. Um, no. But mini like crash courses. Like let us know if that's something yeah. you're interested in because we realize... There are a lot of you who can't commit to a two-hour I promise episode. I won't talk as fast as John Green does in Crash Course. I make Course. no promises. Kat, you can do that. I literally can't watch Crash Course because I'm like, there's too much happening right now. It stresses right you now. out. It really does. You like, can do yours in the style of the History of Japan videos. <laughs> <laughs> if y'all have never seen the Still a piece of, of garbage. <laughs> yeah, if you are above 18 years old... And you, 16. 16, yeah. <laughs> and you like funny history. Go watch the history of Japan. It actually does, YouTube. like, okay, when we job. took our history of Japan class, like our real actual history of Japan class, mm-hmm. our professor literally opened the class with that video. Yeah. He was like, no, this is not everything, but honestly, what they have here is really accurate. And it was. It's yeah. It's so nice to get just a, like the quickest 10 minute recap. Uh huh. I mean, if they can recap all of Japan in 15 minutes, maybe we can do 15 per dynasty. I don't know. But, um, can't. We, we can't. Um, no. But they also have the entire history of the world. That's true, in like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, let's just do that. Yeah. Why are we doing here, Kat? We're yeah. talking for two this hours. This one episode, Kaylee. This just podcast everything should have been over. One ep- yeah, we could have finished this so long ago. <laughs> Instead, we're just eating up our Sunday afternoons. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, we do get to go eat afterwards, usually, so. True. Um, true, true, true. But yeah, if that's something y'all are interested in, let us know what kind of content you'd like to see on them, or what time, like, like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you'd like mm-hmm. to see from that. You can email us about it. Uh, uh, you know the email one better than I do. It's literally the name of our podcast. Okay. <laughs> so you can email us at this is not a history lecture at gmail.com. So you always say that one. And I always say that our Twitter is at T-I-N-A-H-L podcast. Yeah. Hit us up on either of those. I think it sounds like a fun idea. Um, and like Kat said, there's a lot of history that's really cool, but it's just not, you know, 45 minutes worth of content. Mm-hmm. And it's still, we still want to talk about it though. But, yeah. and that kind of sets it up for like fun little, like mini. Mini so Yeah. To do like little fun, cute stuff that happens through history. Maybe not cute is the right word, but so interesting yeah, stories. Like the invention of the teacup. Yeah. Actually, that probably has a very deep, complicated history. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Everything relating to tea does. I know. That's what I said. Oh my God. I was like, oh, we could. Wait, maybe like not. The, okay. Never mind. About it. Never mind. But you get the yeah, yeah. 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 So let us know about idea. that. Yeah. Um, is there anything else we need to cover? No. Thanks for sticking around and hearing me talk at you for an hour and a half. Well, I didn't talk for that long. An hour. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry if that was a lot of information. I feel like it was a lot. But I also feel like I learned something doing those notes. So hopefully you I did too. I learned something hearing them. Yeah. For sure. Like, Thanks, I, Kat. I'm wondering the the Underworld name, the Shib- Shibalba. Shibalba. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if I've heard it in a movie. You probably have. Like I said, it's kind of a really cool word. What so I, it just has always stuck with me. What civilization does the road to El Dorado feature? Is that Aztec or Mayan? Oh, I just saw a TikTok about that. Movie maybe earlier. that's where I've heard it. It might be. Maybe that's I don't. It's that or some other popular culture because I've heard it not yeah. in a classroom context. Yeah. But yeah. So. Yeah. Sorry. I keep getting sidetracked by. Stroll. No, you're good. Um. Yeah. yeah. Hope you all have a great week. We Thanks for sticking around. If you're still Tuesday. here, we'll see you next Tuesday. Yeah.
not in the not in the inappropriate way. We'll talk to way. you next Tuesday. There you go. In the meantime, just remember that this has not been a history lecture. Bye. Bye.